If you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 5 for a moment this morning. Romans chapter 5. And we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 5 of the 5th chapter of Romans. And as a matter of fact, the Lord really laid it upon my heart about two months ago to commit this piece of scripture to memory. And when Paul asked me if I would be kind enough to preach, it, you know, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, Lord, you usually give me something and I'm, I'm thinking it over in my mind and, and really uh, chewing it over and trying to understand the, full, the fullness of that scripture well before you ever usually give me the chance to preach. And, and I thought to myself, I don't know what I'm going to preach about. And then the Lord kind of said to me, you know, I gave you a scripture to memorize. So what do you think the purpose of that is? And that's why we're here this morning to share Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 for you this morning. And let's turn to that scripture and look at it, what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Christians of the church at Rome. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been shed abroad or poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great truths of your word made manifest in this passage of Scripture. We thank you that through Jesus Christ our Lord we have been justified by faith. We thank you, Lord, that we have peace with you through him, and that you have given us this introduction through him into this grace in which we stand. And indeed, we come this morning to exult in hope of your glory. Lord, we know that you cause all things to work together for our good. Your word tells us that. Your word is true. It's divinely inspired. It is eternal, and it never passes away. So, Father, speak to our heart this morning. Open up our spiritual eyes that we might see things we have not seen. Speak to us. Give us ears to hear your voice, Lord. And more importantly, a heart that grasps and understands, that rejoices in the truth that we have in your word through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Father, for this special day to come and worship you. Thank you, Lord for what you are doing in our lives individually and collectively as a church. We lift this up to you this morning for the praise and honor of Christ Jesus. May he be glorified alone in it. For in his name we pray. Amen. Four things I'd like to talk to you about this morning, and that first, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I'd like for us to talk about the foundation of our hope. Because the title of my message is Hope Triumphant. And there is a foundation to that hope that is established and built upon Jesus Christ our Lord. There is an extent to that hope. And that's why we exult in the hope of the glory of God. 
There is the building up of that hope, and that's why we go through tribulations and tribulations to bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character builds up and solidifies and helps us realize the hope that we have in him. And then the triumph of that hope itself and how that applies to our life. And that is the, the essence of what we'd like to talk about this morning. But, you know, I can remember back, and the reason the Lord laid upon my heart this particular scripture, in thinking about the word hope. And I can realize, and I realize that I knew what hope was. It's an expectation you have. But then again, as I look at the word of God, sometimes I need to know the fullness of that word. And that is the reason why I think God laid it upon my heart to meditate upon this word. And there's not a greater way, way to meditate upon the scripture than to memorize it. And God can really begin to speak to your heart as, you, as he brings it to your mind through the Holy Spirit. And then begins to speak to you through the other aspects of scripture. And you know there's not a greater commentary on the word of God than the word of God. And so when you look at the other aspects of this... And when you examine hope in all of its fullness, it begins to have a different meaning and to take on a fuller meaning than it ever has before. And that's what I hope I can share with you this morning. The foundation of our hope is this. And it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing is, the very solid foundation of our hope is justification by faith. And as you remember, several weeks ago, Paul preached on that very key doctrine. It is a key doctrine in every sense of the word. Because if we're not justified by faith, if it takes something else, to the Judaizers, as Paul wrote to the church Galatia, it took circumcision. But he said, that's not the gospel I preach to you. It is, indeed, justification by faith alone. And that's what motivated Martin Luther to do what he did those centuries ago. And that's what differentiates us to a great degree from the Catholic Church. Because I don't believe they really understand this doctrine. There's a great difference when you begin to explore it and understand it in its fullness. Justification by faith means this. That we have been given right standing before God. We have been declared righteous. Though there are none righteous, no not one. We have been declared righteous because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for us and shed his blood, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And as a consequence of his work, and his work alone, we have been saved. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous. We have been given right standing before God. And that's the first thing that we have to understand. Therefore, Justify, having been justified by faith, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what this means is that because of what he has done, we have been given a, a, a reconciled relationship with God. We have been what we were at enmity with him before. Now we have been saved by his work, and he has restored to us to, and reconciled us to God the Father. And that's an important thing to understand. Before, when, before that, when man was created, before he sinned and chose to disobey, he had peace with God. He walked with God. 
He fellowshiped with God daily in every way. But when sin entered in, man became at enmity with God. And his sin caused him to be at, at anything but peace. Indeed, he was essentially at war with God. And Jesus Christ, because of what he again has done, has saved us from that. He has restored the relationship that was lost because of Adam's sin. Also, I think it's important for us to understand this. We have been justified by faith. We have been saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the work of God. It is His work so that no one could boast. Not a result of works, but of His doing. We've been saved by grace. And this is the, this is the essence of our hope. That it is, has nothing to do with anything you and I possibly can do. It has everything to do with what Christ Jesus has done. And therefore we have been justified, given right standing. We have been put at peace with God. And we can enter into his presence. And he says, also, one other thing. Through him, we also have gained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And what does he mean by that? That word, introduction, if you will, as it is said is in the, uh, the New American Standard, is given or is interpreted as mostly or translated mostly from the Greek word as access. We have access into this grace in which we stand. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I love to read, was a great preacher of the word back and died and think when the Lord called him home in 1981, but a great Welsh preacher, preacher as well as one who could preach fantastically in the English language. But when you listen and when you read his words, it is incredible how this man could glean so much from the scriptures. And one of the things that he said here was that uh, when you understand that this word access is so key, that it's like having access, because he's a British subject, to the Queen of England. You just don't gain that automatically. You don't just call up Buckingham Palace and say, I'd like to talk with the Queen with this first opportunity. You have to have, first of all, an introduction. And you have to have an introduction to the right people in order to even begin to make your request made known. But once you have made that request, there has to be a granting of an audience, if you will. And it's much like this, if you will, when you understand that Jesus Christ, who has justified us, given us right standing before God, created a peace with God because of his atoning work, he has enabled us to come into this grace, God's unmerited favor. He's enabled us to access it, to gain entry to it, because of what he has done. And only through him, through him, we also have access or introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So there was also two other verses of Scripture in which this word access are mentioned. In, in Ephesians 2.18 it says, For through him we both, meaning both Jew and Gentile, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Also in Ephesians 3.12, this is the other place where it's used in the New Testament, in him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So God has granted us through Jesus Christ our introduction. Again, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
And that's a subject for another sermon altogether, when we start talking about the grace in which we stand. But the grace is what we stand in because of God's unmerited favor made manifest in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about the extent of our hope, because he says, actually there in verse 2, and we exult, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. What did he mean when he said that? Why exult? Most translations say rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It says we exult. And what does that mean? Exult has a different meaning. It is stronger than rejoicing. It's a stronger, far more extensive word in that it essentially means in the old archaic translation, we leap for joy. That's what it really means when it's in its truest sense of the word. We leap for joy, but we rejoice not just in the ordinary sense of the word. We rejoice greatly. We are jubilant. We glory in this truth. We glory in the hope of the glory of God. And that's what he's talking about, a greater thing. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, and we talk about the glory of God, what God has done for us, and when we think about what that glory is, this scripture kind of says it all in 1 Corinthians 2.9, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those that love him. We think about the glory of God when we go into his presence. You have to recollect back in the Old Testament, when it talked about Moses going up on Mount Sinai to receive the tablets. And when he came down, he had been so near to God. He had seen God in his glory. And his face shone so that they had to put a veil because it blinded the eyes of those who saw him. That is because he was near to the glory of God. We shall see God in that way. We shall see him in all of his glory. Think again in the New Testament to the transfiguration. Upon that mount when Peter, James, and John saw Jesus Christ glorified as they had never seen him before. They, it was a given a foretaste of his glory. And think of that. We shall see that. We rejoice greatly. We're jubilant at the thought of his glory. And what an awesome thing. All that God has prepared for us who love him. And we could preach forever on the glory of God. But it is an awesome thing for us to consider. And our hope is centered in that. That we shall know it. We shall, we shall see it ourselves face to face. Also, when we look at this, there's another aspect of this. We not only exult in the glory of God... Because we will see him in all of his glory, but we exalt in the fact that God is going to glorify us. Ephesians, I should say Romans 8.30. As a matter of fact, if you will, just turn over a few verses to Romans chapter 8. And we'll begin at verse 28, which I call, after another pastor who said to me, the most difficult verse of scripture in the Bible. Romans 8.28 through verse 30. And it says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We shall be glorified. And it doesn't mean just sanctification we're talking about. That process by which God is causing in us to become like Christ. Causing us to be conformed to the image of his Son. But we're talking about glorification. When this corruptible body of mine shall put on incorruption. When I shall see him like he is in all of his glory, God will make me in his, in his power through Holy Spirit glorified. Nothing I can do. It's all him. It's all God. He will make all of us who believe glorified. That's how he fulfills his hope in us. And so this is another thing. We exalt in not only the glory of God, we also exalt in the hope that we shall be glorified to be like him. That this corruptible shall put on the incorruption, as it says in the old King James. Also, there's another verse of scripture that brings this to mind. And that's in Colossians 1.27. It says, to whom, meaning the saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ is in me. And what a great hope I have, that he shall perfect his work in me. He shall bring about what he has begun. He shall bring it to completion. Let's talk about the building up of our hope. In verse 3 it says, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Now what is it? about tribulations. Difficult thing for us sometimes to face. Difficult concept for us to handle as Christians. Not something that we thoroughly enjoy, is it? When we think about some of the tribulations, and what that word really means is this. We're talking about our sufferings, the pain we experience. We're talking about the difficulties we encounter in our life. We're talking about all the afflictions which we, must, we might suffer. That's the tribulation. And Jesus said in John chapter 16, when he was talking to his disciples after the upper room on the way to the Gethsemane, he said this. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. In the world you have tribulation. And as a matter of fact, when we stop and think about it, this is the case. There's not a person who doesn't experience tribulation, or affliction, or suffering, or pain, or some difficulties. There's not a person that doesn't encounter this. It's what we do with it when we encounter it that calls, the, uh, calls up the difference that we have in Christ Jesus. It's what, as how we react to that that makes a difference. And that's why we say, we say that Romans 8.28 is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible because it says this, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's provisional in that, first of all, it assures us that God can cause all things to work together for our good, but it is provisional in that it is for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. 
Those he also called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. In the process of this life, the difficulties that we face are intended for our good by an all-wise and awesome God. Now, I thought back over my life, and I was looking a, lot, a little this week as, as to uh, thinking to myself, you know, I've been very, very fortunate and blessed. I've had to suffer very little. And then I began to understand that, you know, that I thought I've got a pretty problem-free life, and then I realized that that's not the case at all. Some of it, the things that might happen, the difficulties we might face might be our, our own making. And in other cases, it has nothing to do with what we've done. Something befalls us, and we cannot understand why. But God has intended for those who love him to make this happen for their good. He intends that tribulations will bring about perseverance. And perseverance will bring about proven character. And proven character will fulfill and complete our hope in him. And hope does not disappoint. So what does this happen? How does this happen? We have a choice as to how we're going to react to this. We can choose to, not just by blind faith, but by trusting God. We're trusting him. Saying, God... I trust you in this difficulty, in this tribulation, in this affliction that I'm faced with. I trust you. I put my faith in Jesus. And we're not talking about blind, obedient faith. We're not talking about being passive and awaiting suffering in a way that earns us some kind of extra points for, you know, I guess good behavior in heaven. That's not the purpose of that. God's at work within us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is perfecting in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He is intending to make us like conforming us to the image of his Son, that we might be, indeed, fruitful and productive in our life. How does this happen? Sometimes we we get to the point where we can react to it so negatively, and we don't want those kind of difficulties. We don't want that kind of tribulation, and we can become bitter, by the way. That's the choice. And that's why it warns us in Hebrews about the root of bitterness by which many are defiled. And some people become very bitter because they're doing anything but trusting God. They felt like they've been dealt a bad hand. They felt like they had been given unjustly some kind of a burden to bear. And they resent that. And they're mad at God. God doesn't mean, and by the way, when I say about withstanding tribulation, doesn't mean that we don't question. That's quite human. That's quite human. I can remember as a 12-year-old boy when my father had his heart attack, his first heart attack, and I can remember praying intently to God, Father, spare my father. Heavenly Father, spare my father. And my father was taken away from me at age 12. And one of the afflictions, if you will, or the tribulations I faced was growing up without a father. But then again, he left a legacy for me that was a strong witness to my life for the whole time of my growing up years where I had a natural tendency of being very rebellious. I can remember investing 30 years in the business world to find it brought abruptly to an end, thinking, how could this happen to me? You know, at age 56, I was planning and working about another nine years at least, and I felt like I was at the most productive time of my life 
And I had thought back in my 30s that there could be no more productive age than in our 50s, if you will. That you've reached kind of a maturity and you have an experience which will enable you to really make a great contribution to whatever it is that God has called you to do. And I went through that very crisis and having to give up a very good business career to which God had called me. And I was wondering, what, God, are you trying to do? But I decided to trust him. And he led me through, in about another five years, four other jobs in quick succession. I called it careers 1, A, B, C, and D. And then we entered kind of career 2, if you will. And they were, some of them were very, were very promising, but they turned out to be bitter disappointments. But yet God kept the bitterness away from me because I trusted him. And I put, and I put my confidence in him. And as it is, he saved the very best for last. And that's why I stand before you this very morning. This is the best for last. At age 68, praise God what he's been able to do, even when my... I, I questioned him. God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And just, he asked me, have faith, trust, and obey me. And he will, he will work things out for my good. He'll make it happen for my good. And so he has. And that doesn't mean I'm going to face no more trials and tribulations. That's not it at all. I'm confident, I'm sure I will. But I pray that the grace of God might freely operate in my life to bring about these things for his good pleasure. So that, what is perseverance? Tribulation brings about perseverance. And this perseverance is probably best translated as talking about a patient and unswavering, uh, an unswavering endurance, or in a way of saying it, a spiritual fortitude. A spiritual fortitude. Tribulation brings about this spiritual fortitude, if you will, unswerving endurance. And endurance is the word most frequently used to translate this in a lot of versions of the New Testament. And so it is. It is endurance. Endurance that's brought about spiritually. It's more than just waiting quietly and suffering, as I said, trying to gain some kind of spiritual points. We are being tempered. We're being perfected. And a verse of scripture that bears this out is in 1 Peter 1.7. It says this, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That the proof of your faith, more precious than gold, which is perishable, may be found to be to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we are we are to persevere because this is how God is testing us. He's tempering us. And when things go through the fire, they're going to be one consumed. And another verse of scripture to hear to bring bring to your mind is what you're going to find in the very next portion of 1 Corinthians 3.13. It says, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. 
So God causes this tribulation to work together for our perseverance. And then our perseverance is to do this, to give us proven character, as it says in the New American Standard, which is translated maturity of character in its fullest sense of the word, maturity of character. God is enabling this to mature us, to bring us to maturity so that we grow up in the grace and knowledge of Christ, so that we become men and women in the stature of Christ. And that's his intent, is to perfect us in this way. And we're tested by fire occasionally. And we are, hopefully, our works, done for his glory, will uh, will pass the test of the fire. Now, lastly, it tells us that maturity of character produces hope. This is where we get to our hope. What is hope? And, and you know, when you think about, I mean, you look at definitions in the dictionary, uh, it's basically kind of described as a, uh, a fulfilled expectation, a confident expectation that what you're wishing for, if you will, what you desire, is going to come to pass. And I didn't find any satisfactory explanation, so I kind of made up one of my own. And basically it's this. Hope is the God-implanted expectation in our hearts that gives us confident assurance that he will do exactly what he promises he will do. And that is to grant us eternal life in his Son through Jesus Christ forever. Think about that. It's the confident expectation that God is going to fulfill his promises. We can be confident in that. Not because of some thing that man has said, but because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. That's hope. And so it says that proven character produces hope. I call this the summation of our hope, and if you look at Romans chapter 8, verses 24-25, it says this, For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, with perseverance, we, shall, we wait eagerly for it. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Also another verse of scripture that says this is the summation of our hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18, it says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but through the out, uh, but though the out, uh, but through, but though our outer man is decaying, let me just read that again. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And think about what that says. Well, the outer man is decaying, and I can tell you now, at age sixty-nine, I can certainly I can certainly testify to that. But the inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. But it says, for momentary, light affliction... Is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So God is perfecting in us these things. Tribulations, 
perseverance, proven character, hope. And so, what is this hope? It is, indeed, what God has implanted in our hearts so that we might believe him. Hope is there, it says. Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not make you ashamed because the love of God has been shed abroad, as it said in the old King James, or poured out within your hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Love, or hope, I should say, hope does not disappoint because the Holy Spirit has been poured out within our hearts through the love of God, I'm sorry, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now think of the awesome thing that that says. And implanted within our hearts when we believe, when we trust Him, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is the hope that we have an eternal salvation because of what He has done. And as a consequence, it begins to transform our life. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's in Romans 8, uh, that's in Romans 15, 13, which is another verification that it is by the Holy Spirit implanted within us that we have hope. It says in, Gal- in Galatians 2.20, and this comes back to me, and this is why God committed me to mem- memorize this verse over, over three years ago. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 And this is Christ in me, the hope of glory. This is what Paul was talking about in Colossians chapter 1, verses 27, when he says, This is the mystery that God's revealed to the, to the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is his hope in us through the Holy Spirit who's been shed abroad or poured out within our hearts by God. God's love has been made manifest to us. And this is why we can exult in the hope of the glory of God. This is why we can exult in our tribulations. This is why we can exult because God is perfecting in us the very character an image of his son, Jesus Christ. So hope is God at work. The expectant or exultant hope is the triumphal ending of God's perfecting grace at work within us. It says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what God is doing. God's at work within us. If we are believers... And the Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God in our heart. God's at work within us to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's going to bring us about for his good reasons. He's going to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. There's one other point I'd like to make in closing. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, Love... Well, pardon me, it says, faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Have you ever thought about how closely linked and connected together those three words are? 
faith, hope, love. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things we hope for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things we hope for, the conviction or the proof of the reality of things not seen. That's done through the Holy Spirit in us. God's at work within us to will and to work for his good pleasure. To bring this about, faith, hope, love, abide, but the greatest of these these is love. And think of this, our faith shall be completed when we see him face to face. Our hope shall be realized when we see the glory of God and we ourselves are glorified. But love never passes away. Because love is God. God is love. And that love endures forever, even as his word endures. Because that's the very nature of God, our Father. And so therefore, love, hope, faith, all three, linked so closely together. In closing, let me just read one other verse of Scripture. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-8. through 8. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are, are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And through you, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Think what that means. What God has done through Jesus Christ. We have such great hope. Our hope is triumphant. Because our hope will be realized. It is real because it's not the thing that we see. That's not hope. It's what we don't see. It's the thing not that's temporal, but the thing that is eternal. It is realized for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you this morning to give thanks to you for the hope that you have created within us through your Holy Spirit that you poured out within our hearts. Thank you, Father, for this great and perfect love, for your love that perfects us to make us like Jesus. And, Father, I pray that this morning you will implant that word deeply in our heart, that we might nurture it and think on it and meditate on it, and, Lord, we might rejoice in it, exult greatly, be jubilant because of what you have done and because of what is to come when we will see you face to face and be made complete in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Father, for, when his, for in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen.